Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. It is, it is great to be here with you all on this uh, third Sunday of the Advent season. Um, in, case you, in case you didn't realize this already, we are less than two weeks from Christmas. Less than two weeks. So for those of you who are procrastinators at getting Christmas gifts, procrastinators at um, getting ready, uh, less than two weeks. So just, just a heads up. Now, with that being said, though, it is with the fact that there is only two weeks of left of this Christmas season. And in my opinion, um, it is those who find the ability to, to uh, practice Christmas all year round, it is my opinion that these are the ones who maybe experience Christmas to the fullest, if you will, the ones who are listening to Christmas music at, in the middle of July um, or at random points in the year. It is these people who maybe they, maybe not, maybe they're the ones who have truly found the heart of Christmas. Because it's these people who in the middle of July when it's miserably hot outside and nothing seems to be going right, when they go to just sit in a room full of Christmas music, everything seems just to melt away for them. I don't know what it is. They have this ability to, to listen to Christmas music, and the peace of the world just, just happens upon them. And it's quite annoying, actually, because I don't know how, how they do that. I mean, it must be very, very nice to find happiness in such a simple way to where in the middle of the summer, in the middle of a random point of the year, they can just listen to Christmas music. And in fact, it's these people who, if you ask them if they're looking forward to Christmas, they're not going to answer about this Christmas. They're already looking forward to next Christmas after this Christmas because they've already had it in their mindset about what Christmas is. And it doesn't matter how bad their day is. It doesn't matter how miserable the situation. If you go and ask them, hey, are you okay? They'll They'll eventually, they'll immediately say, well, of course, Christmas is only 385 days away. How could I not be okay? <laughs> yeah. It's almost, for these people, it's almost as if in the middle of everything else around them, outside of the Christmas season, in the middle of everything else going around them, they are able to find this time of rest, now, it doesn't take away the bad day. It doesn't take away the terrible situations. It doesn't take away the heat of July. But because they know that Christmas is coming, they can say everything's going to be okay. Now, again, as, as annoying as these people can be sometimes, when you walk into, uh, there may be a person or two amongst the church staff who listens to Christmas music in July and when I walk into that, uh, when I walk into their office, you're like, you got to be kidding me, man. But to a certain extent, uh, I also envy these people. These people who can rest in Christmas regardless 
of the situation. Janae's back there laughing. <laughs> She's the one who's listening to Christmas music in July. You walk back there in July and the space heater's going and Christmas music is blaring. <laughs> Janae's not annoying. Let me just preface with that. I mean, again, how wonderful it must be to be able to find this, this happiness in such a simple way. Because Christmas, for these people, they, it serves as a never-ending reality. And so much of what makes that annoying for all of us, isn't that what makes us envy them all of the more? That they can find happiness so easily? I mean, aren't we all, at, at, to some extent, aren't we all wanting to live in a reality that we can rest in, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of all of the unknowns and the insecurities of what the year might bring for us? I mean, aren't we all actually, as Christians, supposed to be able to find contentment, regardless of the situation that we find ourselves in? I mean, aren't we all supposed to be able to, to rest even when things don't seem fair, when, when people don't seem to respect us, when people don't view our job as worthy enough to be respected, and when everything else seems to be falling down around us, aren't we all, as Christians, supposed to still be able to rest and find this contentment that all of these other Christmas dwellers are able to find throughout the year? Aren't we all supposed to have a reality that we can rest in? Well, so today, uh, as you can see, and as we've already mentioned, and as we've already read, today I want to talk about that reality. I want to talk about the reality that in the midst of everything else, it conquers all. The reality that you and I can rest in, the reality of joy. Now, when I say joy, I think for many of us, our minds go about 100 miles an hour in 100 different directions. We hear this word joy, and, and we all think, yeah, it's, it's good, but I'm not quite sure how to articulate it, how to explain joy. It's, it's, it's bigger than happiness, but it's not happiness. And, and it, 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 you can feel it when you're sad, but it's not sadness, it's it's this thing that it's, it's almost ambiguous in nature. We're supposed to have it, we're called to have it, yet we can't fully explain it. So we come up with these catchy phrases, these, these catchy sentences to try to help us understand what joy is. Now we can find joy through all sorts of things. I mean, I can go through here and give you a thousand different verses that explain joy, that have the word joy in them, that tell us, hey, rejoice in this, rejoice in, rejoice in this. The, the, your strength is the joy of the Lord. In fact, if you went to the book of Philippians, you would see the word rejoice or joy or have joy. So often, you'd be like, wow, this, this is amazing. But I don't want to do that today. I don't want to give you a thousand verses that have the word joy in them. Because in the midst of that, I think that we often forget the fundamentals of what joy truly is. But it stands the reason, though, if this, the Bible, is saturated with joy, then maybe it should also be making up our very identity as Christians. If, if joy is saturating this, and I'm supposed to be in this all the time, then joy should be saturating me. 
So we have to answer the question, okay, if joy is through all of this, then what actually is the reality of joy? What are the fundamentals of the reality of joy? And that's what I want to discuss today. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today. And we've already read it. We've already heard it a couple times today. But in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20, I believe we see the beginning of the fundamentals of what joy is. We can explain it and have catchphrases for it, but unless we understand the fundamentals of joy, we can't begin to fully experience joy or the reality of what joy is. And so in Luke 2, we see this is Jesus' birth. This is where we learn the fundamentals, the beginning of the reality of joy. Because when we learn the fundamentals of joy, we can then live in the reality of joy. So would you join me today as we begin? We're in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And this is where we pick up today. So Jesus has now been born. And verse 8 says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I mean, the center of this proclamation, the center of what the angel is trying to declare to these terrified shepherds is, hey, I'm about to tell you something that's going to change the world. And it will be a source of joy. The reality that now is going to shape the world is going to center around joy. And what's interesting is this joy, it's coming in one of the most mundane moments for these shepherds. I mean, they're just out there minding their own business. We're not told uh, that they did anything in particular. We're not told of some big event going on to help welcome in this grand source of joy. We're not told that these shepherds did something amazing to receive this news. It just happened. The angel just appeared. There were no good works. There were no tricks. There were no particular rituals that these shepherds had to do for the angel to come with this news. And so as we look at this piece of scripture, I want us to focus on what joy is not. Because this is the beginning of learning the fundamentals of something. It's learning first what it is not so we can understand what it actually is. And as we go through these verses, here's what the angel is not saying. The angel isn't coming saying, hey, this, I got this source of joy for you, and it includes you becoming the richest person in the world. The angel's not saying that. The angel isn't showing up and saying, hey, guess what? All of the people of the world are now going to respect you. This is the source of joy. All of the people will now respect you and your vocation. No, that's not what the angel's saying. The angel isn't saying, hey, I'm going to change your social or your economic status. He's, the angel's not even saying, hey, guess what? We're going to have others pull the night shift from here on out. You see, the angel isn't concentrated on changing the outward circumstances of the shepherd's lives. Changing outward circumstances, changing temporary experiences for the shepherds was not what the good news was all about. The news was all about a new reality. It says here that a Savior is born. 
a Savior is born. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now look what's happening here. You see, all of a sudden when we realize that when a Savior is coming... When a savior comes, it means that we are about to be delivered from whatever reality we are currently in. When a savior comes, that means something drastic is about to change for you and for me. Because if a savior is here, that then means that we need to be saved from something. And so the savior is coming. It means that we are about to be delivered. And what's interesting is that the reality, this reality, it has nothing to do with something of this world but it had everything to do with the divine. This wasn't some typical message. This wasn't a typical messenger saying, hey, guess what? The war is over. We're good to go. We're good to proceed as normal. This isn't some news anchor saying, guess what? Something great is about to happen. No, this message came from an angel. And we're told that from this angel, the glory of the Lord, the glory of God, shone around all Of the shepherds. And the shepherds were terrified. They were scared, which tells me this isn't some comfortable presence. The glory of the Lord isn't chocolate chip cookies, Christmas music, and a fireplace. The presence of the Lord was intense, it was heavenly, it was divine. All of a sudden, we realize that this new reality that's being announced is not a worldly reality. It is a reality that that goes beyond our world. And on top of of it all, we see that this is going to be no ordinary savior. This news would be for all people. The central point of this proclamation, the central point of who this savior is, was that he was going to be a source of joy for all People. Now you tell me, what possible savior in this world could ever be a savior, one, to all people, and also a source of joy for all people? This isn't a typical message, and certainly not a message of this world. You see, the fact of the matter is, when it comes to the fundamentals of understanding joy, of understanding the reality of joy, is that the reality of joy is divine. It is heavenly it is out of this world and more importantly the reality of joy is not worldly but how often do you and I try to understand or experience joy based off what we have done or maybe what others have done for us we try to understand joy from a human logical point of view we try to make joy fit our understanding but we can't The reality of joy, as we're told here, is not originating from anything that the shepherds have ever experienced before. The origins of joy are coming from a divine source. But we think, you and I, we think that if our circumstances were better, then maybe we could experience joy. If people would just show us the respect that we deserve, then maybe, possibly, we would experience joy. But that's not the case. Because joy is not dependent on our physical blessings. Joy is not dependent on the size of your house or the income you make. Joy is not dependent on whether your family gets along for Christmas or not. Joy is independent of external circumstances. 
Joy, the reality of joy, is given to us by God. It's not a temporary feeling that we're supposed to come in and out of. It is supposed to be a perpetual reality that defines the rest of our experiences. The fact that joy is divine means that it goes beyond our world, which means even in our darkest valley, in our deepest sources of pain, we can still have joy. Does that do away or negate or undermine the pain that we walk through? By no means. But yet joy is still present. Because the reality of joy is divine. Is it bigger than happiness? Absolutely. But can you still feel it in the midst of your deepest, darkest sadness? 100%. This is the beauty of joy. But this isn't the end. This isn't the end. Let's go back to verse 11 here. Again, he says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. You see, all of a sudden, we see that uh, the angel is not making just this baseless proclamation. He's not just saying, hey, guess what? I have good news for you, and you're just going to have to believe that this good news is actually coming true. No, he's not saying, hey, just have faith in me. Uh, He's actually saying, guys... Not only am I giving you this great news, this, this news that's going to be a source of joy for all people, but guess what? I've also uh, given you evidence for it. And you can actually go see this evidence. You can experience this for yourself so that you can actually know what I'm saying is true. So just in case, just in case the angel and the glory of the Lord wasn't enough of a surprise or enough evidence for these shepherds to believe, he says, hey, guess what? There's going to be a baby laying in some animal's feeding trough, and that's going to be your sign. This Savior, this grand Savior that you can expect is going to be where the animals eat. Can we just, I don't think this is hitting us as strong as it needs to be hitting us right now. Uh, This is a Savior who's going to save all of the world, a source of joy for all people, and he's a baby lying in a feeding trough. Are we, are, are we gathering this here? We, I mean, you, you can't make this stuff up. You just can't. So in case the angel wasn't enough, hey, guess what? You're going to find this baby. And then upon this announcement, upon saying, hey, there's a baby in a feeding trough, then all of a sudden we see an army of angels appear out of nowhere. So again, this, this idea of what joy is, the reality of joy, we see that it's not simply something that, hey, just believe in it. It's not something that the angel is saying, guess what? Uh, nothing is going to change. There's no outward evidence for it. You're just going to have to take my word on it and, and pretend like it's a reality. No. There are physical signs taking place here. And to help influence their decision, uh, an army of singing angels comes to further announce this proclamation, which tells me that God is in the midst of using his messengers. God is in the midst of using those who dwell with him 
to declare his joy to all the world. And the angel didn't come again. He didn't come saying, hey, here's a million dollars. That This is how you're going to believe in me. He didn't come saying, I have a guarantee for you. I'm going to give you all of this stuff. And by giving you all of this stuff, this is then going to show you that this joy is for real. No, you and I, we can understand the concept of money. We can understand the concept of physical blessing. This proclamation would have been humanly understandable, but joy isn't of humans. Joy isn't of this world. Joy shouldn't have to make sense to us, and we shouldn't limit joy to make sense to us. Because at the heart of it all, it is actually good news that we can't fully understand what joy is, so it shouldn't be our responsibility to try to fully articulate or explain what joy is. But what we can do is, We can experience it for ourselves. We can go see a baby in a feeding trough, which, by the way, is a very unremarkable way for a Savior to come into the world. In case you guys didn't pick up on that before, it's a very unremarkable way for a Savior to come. But you see, this is how God works. He doesn't limit himself to our expectations on what we would expect for a Savior to be like or to come into the world as. In fact, he turns the mundane, he turns the unremarkable, he turns the boring, he turns the monotonous into something beautiful and wonderful. You see, so often you and I, we limit God to the big showy miracles. We say, God, give us a sign and we hope that there will be millions of dollars raining from our ceiling when we pray for this sign. We limit God to the big showy miracles, but how often, though, does God work the biggest things in the smallest ways? We think we can limit God to our human understanding in the big ways, but God's like, no, I'm going to surpass your expectation, and I'm going to do the biggest thing in the smallest way. So the real question is, for you and for me today, what are we missing? What signs are is God? What signs are being used by God to show us his joy today that you and I are missing? Furthermore, when we see that God uses his messengers, that God uses those who dwell with him to declare his joy, who is God using right now in your life to demonstrate joy, the reality of joy? to you. I mean, look around. All of us in here, probably, most of us at least, would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. If you and I are Christians, that by reason then stands that we are dwelling with God. And so if we are all dwelling with God, are we proclaiming his joy to our brothers and sisters? And who is being used in your life to show you joy. But so often we we put our blinders on and we're just looking for a particular thing all the while God is saying, look, it's all around you. I will use the most boring, the most mundane, the most unremarkable thing to show you my joy. The fact of the matter is, friends, the reality of joy is affirmed for us all. 
We are all being shown the reality of joy. And if we can't see it, if today you can't see joy, it's not because God is hiding it from you. It's because you haven't found the right place to find it or look for it. God isn't trying to just pull a trick over us and say, oh, go find me, go find me. God does the most obvious Sometimes through the smallest of ways. And he just hopes that we would actually be looking for it. What is God doing in our life to show us this reality? Or are we limiting God? Are we limiting God to the big, to the wonderful, to the miraculous signs that would make sense in our minds instead of his? The reality of joy is affirmed for us all. He wants to show himself to each of us. It's not this estranged scavenger hunt he's showing us on with a whole bunch of clues. He's just wondering if we're looking for it. So we continue then, verse 15. So so right now we've we've learned that the, the beginnings of the fundamentals of the reality of joy is one, that the reality of joy is divine. And secondly, the reality of joy is affirmed for us all, shown to us all. And we come to verse 15 then. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. You see, uh, now we get to this point in time, so the good news has been proclaimed. These divine messengers, those who dwelled with God directly, they have come and the glory of God has shown all around the shepherds and it terrified them. But now all of a sudden, the glory of God has left. The angels are gone. The messengers are nowhere to be seen. And so now the shepherds then have this decision. Can they just think that, wow, that was one crazy dream in the middle of the night and just leave it at that? Or are they going to go see for themselves if what was actually said is true? And so the angels left, and now the shepherds have a choice. They could either ignore everything, or they could go and see for themselves. You see, just because they heard the news, just because the angels proclaimed it to them, just because they saw this army of angels singing, there was still a responsibility on the shepherd's end. So you see, to enter into the reality of this good news, they had to experience it for themselves. And though the appearance of the angels and their singing and the glory of the Lord, though it would have been absolutely extraordinary, it wasn't the good news in and of itself. And the angels, they weren't about to force this reality on the shepherds. So the shepherds say, let's go and see for ourselves. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. The angels, the angels didn't just pick the shepherds up and say, okay, here's the house, go in and look. No, part of joy is understanding that we get to respond to it. 
we are told the great news, that we are told this amazing thing. And part of what joy is, part of the fundamentals of joy is that you and I, we have a choice in the matter. We get to respond to it. I mean, okay, let's, let's go back to these crazy Christmas people for a second. The ones that say everything is good if you're listening to Christmas music. We can't expect to enter into uh, their reality, if you will, if we're not willing to actually listen to Christmas music along with them. It takes us uh, making the decision to say, okay, Janae, I'll, I'll sit here for a minute and listen to this Christmas music. I won't just take your word at it. I'll make the decision. And if I can find temporary happiness by listening to Christmas music on the hottest day of July, then how much more so is my responsibility to respond to the invitation that is joy? The reality of joy. How much more so should we be be responding to this proclaimed reality? I mean, we can hear about it all we want, and we are going to hear about it all we want. And that's what this Christmas season's all about. We hear everything about Jesus. But unless we actually respond to it, hearing about it makes no difference. I mean, so often we think that we can come to church during the Christmas season, we can sing all the songs, and we can listen to what's being proclaimed from the word. But unless we discover it for ourselves, unless we choose to go on the journey, how can we ever expect to get to our final destination? We all want joy. I would make the argument that we all want joy, but how many of us are actually willing to positively respond to the invitation? Because again, one of the fundamentals to the reality of joy is the understanding that the reality of joy is an invitation that you and I have the opportunity to respond to. The reality of joy is divine. It is not of this world, so let's stop looking in this world for it. The reality of joy is affirmed for us all. God's not hiding it from us, and he's also giving us this opportunity to say, yes, I will go see Jesus for myself. Because the reality of joy is an invitation. An invitation that requires a response, an RSVP, if you will. But this invitation we have now to respond to it. Will we accept that joy is independent of our external circumstances and be willing to experience something that goes beyond our actual experiences? Or will we just say, wow, that was some great news, but I'll stay here for the evening. Man, that was a pretty cool sight, those angels and all the singing ones. Woo! But I'm just going to stay here right now. That was good enough for me. Friends, you and I, we have this invitation to us every single day. And I would make the argument that if we're not willing to respond now, something tells me that we wouldn't be the ones responding, even if a whole bunch of angels did show up this morning. Because the good news is the same today as it was yesterday. I might not be an angel with the glory of the Lord shining around me, but that does not make the news any less. The reality of joy is an invitation. But let's continue. Let's finish this piece of scripture here, right up to 
verse 20. Verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You see, right along with this idea that the reality of joy is an invitation, is understanding that the reality of joy is experienced not only in hearing, but also seeing. The reality of joy is experienced in hearing the good news, the good proclamation, as well as seeing the good news in the proclamation. Where you're saying, you might be saying, well, um, Justin, in case you didn't realize, Jesus is no longer a baby, and he's no longer in a feeding trough. Friends, today, we have something more than a baby in a feeding trough. Look around you right now. There are those in this room who have been radically changed by the Holy Spirit who dwells inside them. We have this ability to to experience the Holy Spirit in a way that the shepherds never could have. Yes, they had the angels and they had this physical manifestation of these angels and the good news. But we have something so much greater. We are told that God himself would live in us with this joy. All it takes is a positive response to the invitation. You don't simply have to take my word for it. We're told that these shepherds, when they had seen, when they, after, being, after hearing, when they had experienced Jesus himself, they went away glorifying and praising God. Because it takes more than just hearing. It all has to come together so that this new reality of joy could be experienced. This Advent season, like I said before, we are going to hear everything. We have heard so much about the person of Jesus and what he has to offer. But unless we go looking for him ourselves, we will only be deceiving ourselves that we are full of joy. I mean, the shepherds, as we've already discussed, the shepherds could have been satisfied with this amazing news of their Savior. They could have been satisfied with being told about this new reality of having the glory of God shine all around them. But friends, this would have been only a temporary high point in their lives. They would have remembered it for a few weeks, maybe even a few years, maybe even a couple of decades, and they would have told their grandkids about it. But this high point of experiencing the angels would have just been that, a singular high point in their lives. And we all come down from our high points. We all come down from the great Christmas season. The praising and glorifying are not because they are no longer shepherds either. The praising and glorifying wasn't because the angels or Jesus changed their outward circumstances. Their vocation didn't change. The people weren't automatically just going to respect them more. They weren't all of a sudden millionaires. This new reality didn't do anything to change their external circumstances. Because joy isn't about what happens in our seasons of life. It is the reality in which those seasons of life happen. So even when we are walking in the midst of a deep, dark season, joy is still available. The reality of joy is experienced when we hear and when we see. Does the Christmas season 
Does it leave us with a temporary high point that then dwindles after the new year? Or does it reaffirm the fundamentals of the reality of joy in our life that then lasts us throughout the year? We can go through scripture and we can find a thousand different encouraging verses that say rejoice, 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 have joy, have joy, have joy, all of that. But unless we know the fundamentals of the origins of joy, of this reality of joy, it means nothing. Because we just think then it's a temporary high point that we have to work towards. We have to do certain rituals for when in reality, joy is right before us at all turns. And God would have us experience it today. You see, the entire reason for Advent is so that we can look back at what God has done so we can look forward to what he is doing. We have the reality before us. We can look back at what God has done by bringing his baby son for us to experience, for us to see. And now we look forward to how we can continually experience this joy as we await the new reality of his second coming. Joy is experienced in the midst of our greatest happiness. But it's also experienced in the midst of our deepest sadness. It is what keeps us focused on hope, and hope will never fail us. That is why we we set the foundation of this series on hope. Hope is what allows us to experience joy, and then joy is what allows us to experience hope. It's just a wonderful circle of events. So as we wait for the second coming of Christ, as we wait for this new reality of heaven and all that comes with it, we go back to his first coming. And we learn the fundamentals of the reality of joy. And we realize it is divine. It is not of this world. We realize that it is affirmed. It is shown to each and every one of us. And it is an invitation each and every day. Friends, we can sing all we want about the wonderful name of Jesus. But have you experienced him for yourself this Christmas season? Because it's Jesus who goes beyond the Christmas season. It's Jesus that makes Christmas music in July so wonderful. It's Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, you are the source of all joy. Father, I I thank you for not making joy something of this world or for something that my brain or heart could fully understand. I thank you for making it a mystery for us to go seeking after and to experience. God, this Advent season, this Christmas season, as we are focusing our eyes on you, would you allow us to experience your joy in a whole new way? Would you allow us to rest in this new reality? Not being dependent on whatever good things or bad things are happening, but that we can rest, truly rest in who you are. Help us experience yourself, your joy. Give us the strength and the courage to glorify your name this week. Father, we praise you. All the power and glory to be your name. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we all pray. Amen.
Be blessed. Experience joy this week. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.